This is the Gonzo Movie Reviews, the Die Hard Specials. I'm Alex Shaw. This is Die Hard 2, colon, Die Harder. We're back with the second of four Die Hard movie reviews. With me once again is Neil Taylor from Game Burst. Hello, Neil. Hello to Jason Isaacs. I've <laughs> to do that for ages. And Matthew, and we know you're listening, Jason. And Matthew Ramsey, better known on the DC forums as Matt Harrier, returns once more. Hello again, Matt. Hello again. Now, Die Hard 2 is a first for Gonzo Gaming because up till now we've covered movies that we either love, like the original Star Wars trilogy, or hate, like the prequel Star Wars trilogy. Die Hard 2, for me, is a pretty standard action film with little to really speak about other than the continuing story of the characters. Director John McTiernan was gone, replaced by Rennie Harlan, a Finnish man who up to that point had most famously directed... <laughs> Anyone know this one? No. It was... A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, colon, The Dream Master. <laughs> Searching my horror. <laughs> <laughs> Harlan later went on to direct Cliffhanger, The Long Kiss Goodnight, and Deep Blue Sea, all of which ranged from OK to All Right, and the studio-killing bomb that was Cutthroat Island. Has anyone actually seen that? I have. It's rubbish. I know. <laughs> I some of it and switched it off. It's, it's, it's appallingly bad. It made me uh, feel like um, when they were releasing Pirates of the Caribbean, they were like, this is what might happen, this is what <laughs> might happen. Fortunately, no, I think they were safe, there was no Gina Davis in it. Yeah. See, Gina Davis wasn't all that terrible, it's just that everything in that film was just kind of... It, it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, when you watch it, it's not absolutely... I mean, I've seen worse movies... But it's very expensive, and you can see where all the money went. And well, the, the Long Kiss Goodnight is a good movie. Yeah, it's actually quite good. Yeah. That's all right. I, I remember Tony quite liked that one. Die Hard 2 was written again by Die Hard writer Stephen E. D'Souza, who lost Jeb Stewart and was joined instead by Doug Richardson, who went on to write Bad Boys, Hostage, and the rewrite of Die Hard 4. Just like Die Hard, this was based on an original novel named... 58 Minutes. 58 Minutes. Yeah. Uh, written by Walter Wager. Uh, they don't really do give a description to what happens in 58 minutes, but from the sounds of it, a cop has to prevent aircraft crashing uh, and does pretty much the same thing as, as McLean does. I think his wife's up in the air as well. So pretty much they just same as a Die Hard one. They took the the bones of the story and then built McLean around it. Only this time they had a fully formed character to work with. That's what kind of bothers me about Die Hard 2. Everything good about it is something that's carried over from the first one. Really, I mean, it doesn't really do anything new. No, it really is, like you said. It's a, it's an early 90s action movie. Mm. It's I mean, okay. It's not too bad. It's, it's like Cliffhanger. Again, it's just, Cliffhanger was all right. There's that bit where that woman falls at the beginning, and you're like, oh, no. I've, but, uh, I've seen Cliffhanger twice, and I still can't remember it. I know it's got some Stallone in it. That's <laughs> it I, I actually did once write Rennie Harlan an uh, email back in the day when I think uh, directors didn't get emails all that often. Um, I, I sent him one after watching Deep Blue Sea and said I enjoyed that just as much as Jaws, uh, which at the time was true. I don't these days. Uh, and, and I was slightly cocky in my uh, response. And I, I, I said, uh, Mr. Harlan, you really should do a film where squirrels and pigeons get crossbred on an island by uh, people doing scientific experiments. You could call it squidgins. And he replied, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> at least it was thank you. It could have been something else. Yeah. 
polite, you know. I know. Um, I, I was just, you know, pl- I was 19 at the time, very silly, and just playing with email. That explains it, the liking of Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> Deep Blue Sea is all right. Okay. Yeah, exactly. It's Same as so most high. of his output. There's a theme developing here, isn't there, really? Now, the reason this feels like Die Hard is sevenfold. Firstly, it has McLean, but also Holly, who was crucial to the original. Al is in there, too, so that you have more ties along with Dick Thornburg. It's set at Christmas. McLean is totally out of his depth. He argues constantly with the local law enforcement. And although it's mostly covered up, he is wearing that signature vest. Crucially, it also has an R rating, which meant that everybody swears their tits off for the duration. And finally, McLean is once again severely out of his depth and having to improvise at every opportunity. Now, the follow-up, Die Hard with a Vengeance, removed Al, Dick, the physical embodiment, but not the influence of Holly, and Christmas. However, the vest is still there, the R rating is still definitely there, and the sense of McLean being out of his depth is also there. It also reinstated John McTiernan, a crippling physical state akin to being shoeless in the shape of a horrendous hangover, and a Gruber brother thrown in for good measure, and to make it personal. Michael Kamen also composed the score for all three of them. We will go into what's wrong with Die Hard 4 in two weeks' time, but as a taster, there's no Vest, no Christmas, no McTiernan, no D'Souza, no Cayman, no R-rating, no Sense of a Desperate Struggle, no Al, no Holly, and most of all, no Dick. No yippee <laughs> Looks like an old man, turns into Homer fucking Simpson. Wearing a singlet, no hair, no relationships of any kind. But, we'll, you know, we'll do that in two weeks. <laughs> Sorry, we're getting carried He does away. look like Homer Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> he does look like Homer Simpson, and later on he even does a Homer Simpson style pratfall. Oh my god. Okay, right, well, yeah, we'll get to that in a bit. Wrong movie, sorry. Okay. <laughs> so when you look at it like that, Die Hard 2 isn't all that bad. It's just a bit perfunctory, competent, that's about it. A bit by the numbers, with a little tasty Die Hard flavour added. Like a stodgy day-old supermarket sandwich that someone slipped a rasher of fresh grilled bacon into. So this isn't the usual Gonzo review. I have no long essay deconstructing the minutiae of a by-the-numbers action film. Instead, we can discuss it between us based on a series of relatively open-ended talking points. Actors to look out for in this film. and How many can you name? Robert Patrick. Yes. Yes. William Sadler. Yes. Let's say who they are and what they did. John Leguizamo's in it, very yes, briefly. Yes, he is, yes. Uh, well, start with the first one. Robert Patrick, who was he in the movie? Uh, a bad guy. <laughs> His name is <laughs> O'Reilly. Uh-huh. Homework. He He's the guy who, uh, when they approach them in the... I mean, you guys know. If you've seen it, you know who Robert Patrick is. He's the T-1000. And when they go, what do I look like to you? And he goes, a sitting duck. And shoots him point blank in the face, and somehow manages not to get shot by his entire backup team. How I mean, as incompetent as the police are in the first Die Hard, they're really incompetent in this one. Well, they're not the police; it's airport security, so they're even thicker, apparently. Yeah, yeah. red the cops. Um, okay, right. So, who was John Leguizamo? He was yeah. Dennis Bronze's cousin, wasn't he? Was he? Oh no, 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 no. no, no, no. That he was, was one uh, of bad Vita. guys, but. He was just had one line. That's yeah, no, right. his his cousin Vito was Joey Tribbiani's dad in Friends. Oh, yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas. You know, 
That smug guy. Uh, no, John Leguizamo is a named book, and he was one of the uh, the terrorist type guys. Who else did you say? Dennis Franz, obviously, uh, who's Carmine Lorenzo. That I mean, it's a it's a pretty good role for him. He's he's. Uh, He's a thorn in... I mean, what? McLean's a thorn in his side. He's a thorn in McLean's side. They bicker. They argue. They pretty much make out at one point. And <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, it's, it's those fronts being Grumpy Cop. Yeah. Played in NYPD Blue. Yeah, he was Sipowitz in NYPD Blue. He was also in Hill Street Blues as well. We played Grumpy Cop. And uh, he, he does it very well. And, you know, he's, he's there doing it, being very cliched. <laughs> or maybe he's a cliche because people copied him. I don't know. And anybody recognise the Windsor Airlines pilot who's like, Dulles Airport, where the devil it's, are you? I can never remember it. It's Colin McHenney. <laughs> Colm Meany. Meany. Basically, Chief O'Brien. Oh, Is that yeah. shit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was doing a very British accent, but he's actually very Irish. It's Chief O'Brien. Aye. Uh, and, yeah, that's him. And uh, John Amos plays Major Grant, uh, the treacherous Marine commander type guy. And uh, he was Fitz in the West Wing. And uh, he was also McDowell in Coming to America, the uh, crooked McDonald's copycat guy. No, fit, I, I know both of those. And he's much better as Fitz. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he's great as Fitz. And, of course, there's William Sadler, who is really funny as death in uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. And really <laughs> kind of funny in The Shawshank Redemption. Count of Monte Cristo, written by Alexander Dumas. <laughs> <laughs> Dumas. Yeah, um, he, I mean, he, William Sadler is actually quite funny, but this guy, <laughs> Colonel... He's just mean. Colonel, what's his name? Stewart. Colonel Stewart. I'll get to Colonel Stewart in a bit. The events are pretty straightforward. A militant group covertly take over control of Washington's Dulles Airport one Christmas Eve. They communicate only with the control tower and hold all the planes in the air hostage until they can land a plane of and escape with a corrupt General Esperanza. John McClane is at the airport waiting for Holly so that they can share a Christmas at her parents' house. It's clearly been quite a good two years for them because John is now working in L.A. as opposed to New York so he can be with Holly and the kids. Holly's plane is among those in the air so he has a personal reason to save the day. In just under two hours, he saves the day. But not before the so-called terrorists bring down a British airliner and everybody gets deceived by another military group brought in to fix the situation, but in all actuality allied with the quote-unquote terrorists. I'm kind of just bored talking about it. It's standard action movie fare, it yeah. really is. It's, it's, oh, right, it's not Beverly Hills Cop 2, which is really boring. Terrorists hold something ransom. I mean, the, the, one of the best bits of Die Hard is when Hans says to Holly, who said we were terrorists? It's kind of like a game-changing, oh, ah. So, I mean, in all seriousness, I don't even consider these guys to be terrorists because they're not trying to cause terror. They're just, uh, they're only communicating with the tower. If they were trying to cause terror, they would broadcast to everyone at the airport, oh, this is what we're doing. I don't even call them terrorists. They're just generic bad guys in most of the time. It's difficult to say what they are. I mean, they're just these sort of ruthless-eyed people who do shit and shoot people and have lots of grenades and run rings around the police and, and just throat. ridiculously over-equipped and, and also no matter how much happens Colonel Stewart never seems to be I mean he's always on top of everything but not in the same way that Hans Gruber is he's just in a kind of I guess I have anticipated everything kind of way it's like, he, also, he doesn't have a personality I, no, can't, I can't even think of a personality when you compare that up to Hans Gruber who was just well you heard us talk about Hans Gruber last time yeah Compared to him, Stuart's boring. 
One of the key differences between the first two films is that unlike the original, the main villain is dull and emotionless without a shred of humour. And John doesn't really engage with him or any of the hoods he crosses paths with. He just shoots them, squashes their heads in luggage sorters and stabs them through the eye with an icicle. Crucially, in the original, McLean was an antagonist for Gruber and his men. Colonel Stewart seems to find John to be a mildly amusing irritation, even up to the finale where after McLean throws his partner into a jet engine, he simply kicks him off the plane. It's not the least bit personal or for that matter compelling and also did we need to see his ass? <laughs> <laughs> I mean I know you're showing that he's like really committed and really single minded but I don't think ass cheeks really says that <laughs> I don't know we saw Gerald Butler's ass in 300 we, oh yes well it's, we saw a lot of stuff in 300 that's I don't know. It doesn't really make me uncomfortable. It just seems to be an extra arse for the sake of it. I think he could have been wearing jogging bottoms or something quite easily and still still done what he was doing. I mean, effectively, he looks like his body's carved out of wood. He looks awesome, and he's doing all this karate stuff. In fact, I actually know that kata. But um, it's quite a basic one. And, uh, you know, it's it's just sort of his arse dominates the frame the trouble is now you've said that i've got the line from uh, loaded weapon one in my head which what is are you what are you doing nothing just taking one of those pointless but in the moonlight strolls yeah <laughs> i think wasn't that referencing lethal weapon or something i don't really know the lethal weapon films all that much did that happen in lethal weapon uh, or was it michael Sh- michael douglas's ass in basic instinct i think it was just a pointless but in the I'm moonlight sure we see michael douglas's wrinkly ass in basic instinct also interesting you mentioned uh loaded weapon one isn't john mcclane himself in loaded weapon one yes bruce willis like gets his caravan shot to pieces on the beach and comes out and he, he's basically acting like john mcclane uh, i think it's supposed to be him he's even in the vest yeah he's in the vest again yeah. what are you doing he goes oh is this gives an address he goes no it's over there yeah Fnarf, fnarf, loaded weapon. Still funnier than Die Hard 2. (laughs) But not as funny as Die Hard 1. Of all the Die Hard movies, this also has the highest body count. In the original, Takagi and Ellis didn't cooperate with or satisfy Hans, so he shoots them in a way he deems logical. In 3, Simon considers himself a soldier, not a monster, so he doesn't blow up a school. And in 4, Thomas Gabriel seems to fancy himself as a whistleblowing wake-up call for America. In all four movies, cops and security get slaughtered like pigs. But only in Die Hard 2 does a plane full of civilians get blown to kingdom come in a way that manages to be both casual and pinky-raisingly Dr. Evil. <laughs> they even stoop to the lowest piece of visual storytelling, which is the best and most cliched way of a hero discovering that children died in a burnt-out wreck. The doll. Yes. In the wreckage. <laughs> That's the easiest way you say, oh, but kids died. <sighs> if I, if I like if adults died, that's okay, but if kids die, that's terrible. It's a horrible moment, and it seems to be only there to raise the stakes and make the head-crushing and eye-stabbing seem all the more warranted. Notably, it's also the point where my father, who at the time was safety and security manager for British Airways at Gatwick Airport, turned off Die Hard 2 and wouldn't let me put it on again for two years. Ouch. I think he took exception to the fact that it was Windsor Airlines, a not even vaguely well-veiled British Airways. In fact, the funny thing is they make an English joke in that. Oh, we're just like British rail love. We may be late, but we're now privatised and fucking late. <laughs> All the time. Forever. And you now have to pay ten times as much. <laughs> I tell you what, the trouble is, this is how bland the movie is. We just, I'm starting to feel like we don't care. It's like John McClane turns up, kills some bad guys, saves the day, yay. Let's get to Die Hard 3 where it kicks ass. He again. does. 
butcher them. He fuck. He just. And he's also. Does he? I mean, I know he shot a lot of bullets in Die Hard One, but it seems like he's very wasteful of bullets in this one. Like he's only got his Beretta 92 FS. When they get to the place where all the SWAT team are getting shot to pieces, he jumps through the air vent and then just like fires off an entire clip at one guy, not hitting him once. Sticks another clip in, fires another clip off, doesn't hit anybody. Sticks another clip in. I think he hits one person in this. Like he's already wasted 36 bullets. So what's clear is John McClane has been down the gun range since his move to L.A. Yeah. Well, well, also, you didn't mention the fact he got promoted as well. D- he did? Hang on, he was a lieutenant, now he's a... No, he is, he's, he's just a beat cop, I think, or a detective in the first one. He's Det- a lieutenant in this now one. Now he's a lieutenant, right. To be honest, it is, and it is exactly what you, you expect at that time period. An easy sequel. Mm. By mm. the number sequel, that's what we got. You didn't get the likes of The Dark Knight. Yeah, no. Right, to be fair, you don't, still don't get the likes of The Dark Knight as sequels, nope. really. If you like the taste of a lobster stew, served by a window with an ocean view. You should have fallen in love with old Cape Cod. Die Hard 2 also received one of the heftiest edits to bring it down to a 15 for video in the UK, and a ridiculous overdub to make it broadcast-worthy for TV on both sides of the Atlantic. When there's this much blue language in a film, it almost seems nonsensical to have to perform such an edit. The rationale being people like Die Hard, but 3% of an audience really don't like it when people say cocksucker or motherfucker. So what you end up with are these bastard stepchildren movie edits, most akin to the garbled backwards-running gibberish of rap music radio edits of the late 90s. The cuts are extreme, and the replacement editing and feathery language is so clumsy and ridiculous that it's like we're watching a TV station make the film for you out of Lego bricks, rather than a cinematic experience with a break for the news halfway through. And really, what's all that about? Either put it on after the news, late enough that it won't corrupt the kids, i.e. us, or don't put it on at all. You Mr. Falcons. <laughs> we talked about this last week, the, the ridiculous language that they come up with in, in place of even the mildest language. Oh, actually, I was in my research for that. I was checking through, you know, TV edits, and I found one of, of, of Casino, and it was Ro- Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro. We're never going to talk about this film. Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro meeting in the desert, and then they have a very heated exchange. And I'm sitting there watching it, and I'm going, it's amazing. These are both adult actors that I see swearing all the time, but they're not swearing. And they're instead using this weird, florid language, like it's, it's you know, that they're just skirting around the subject. And it doesn't really make them seem all that angry. It's like taking away the swearing completely sucked the emphasis out of that whole scene. And then halfway through, Joe Pesci suddenly calls him uh, a money-thieving Jew or something. I'm like, whoa! Okay, so racism is fine, but you can't say ass. Or in America, isn't it, you can't show tits? Uh, oh, I was appalled at that. You said I'm bringing heat on you? I gotta listen to people because of your lousy heat? You're ordering me out? You better get your own fighting army, pal. I didn't do anything. I mean, I didn't order you or anybody. I only told Andy Stone that you had a lot of heat on you and that was a problem. You want me to get out of my own freaking town? Yeah, I said, let, let the stuff blow over for a while so I can run the casino. Anything goes wrong with the casino, it's my act. It's not yours, it's my act. Uh, I don't know whether you notice or not, but you only have your lousy casino because I made that possible. I'm what counts out here. Not your fancy country clubs or your 
fancy TV shows. And what the heck are you doing on TV anyhow? You know, I get calls from back home every single day. They think you went bozo. Only on TV because I got to be able to hang around the casino. You understand that. You stupid jerk. You could have had the food and beverage job without going on television. You wanted to go on TV. Yeah, I did want to go on TV. That way I have a form. I can fight back. I'm known. People see me. They know they can't fool around with me like they could if I was an unknown. That's right. You're making a big foolish spectacle of yourself. Me? I wouldn't even be in this situation if it wasn't for you. You brought down so much stinking heat on me. And every time I meet somebody here, the big question is, do I know you? Oh, sure. Now you want to bring your filthy license on me. No, Nikki, when you asked me if you could come out here, what did I tell you? I mean, you asked me, and I knew you were going to come out no matter what I said. But what did I tell you? Do you remember what I told you? Do you remember remember what I told you? Wait a minute. I asked you, when the heck did I ever ask you if I could come out here? Get this through your head, you, you. Never... Get this through your head, you Jew money lover, you. You only exist out here because of me. Okay. And I'd like to say, why are we not doing Casino? That's a good movie. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't okay. like most Scorsese films. Casino is no exception. Ah. It's okay. We can maybe do... What's a good Scorsese film? Oh, no, there aren't any. Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> this isn't even making it into the final cut. What, no, I, I don't want the emails... Nah, no, nah, because I'd just seen Inception. So I was like, okay, so Leo DiCaprio might be dreaming, his dead wife. What? Hang on a second. Oh, I, Shutter Island wasn't... I mean, none of Scorsese movies that I've seen are terrible. I just really don't see why everybody loves them. I've never actually sat and gone, oh my God, that was terrible. So basically, your opinion of Martin Scorsese is my opinion of uh, Tim Burton then? Yeah, kind of. I mean, we can... I, I'm not going to force you to do any of the Tim Burton episodes. I'm but, doing the Batman one, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, to see, Tim Burton, for me, is so black and white. It's like he does... Brilliant film, terrible film, brilliant film, terrible film. <laughs> it's like he he takes it in turns. Like he's got this weird twin brother. It's weird, because I actually... In pre- when we were talking... I know this will get chopped up, but we were talking about doing the Batman thing, yeah. and I looked up um, Tim Burton's movies on IMDb to see which ones I liked. Mm-hmm. Two. Two. Okay, right. Uh, Big Fish. Nope. You don't like Big Fish? Nope. Oh, okay. Um, I have no gauge of quality then. Uh, so, uh, Sweeney Todd? Nope. You don't like Sweeney Todd? There's one. Before Christmas. Nope. You only produced that. Are you allowed to like films if you don't like <laughs> Scorsese and you don't like Nightmare Before Christmas? Well, I don't, I don't like Scorsese. Um, <laughs> I don't like Scorsese, so between us we're not allowed to like films. <laughs> um, Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice, awesome. And the other one is The Corpse Bride. Oh, I love that film. Yeah. But okay. to be fair, it's on The Nightmare Before Christmas. I haven't seen that. Oh, okay. Well, it's, it's not like going to blow you away, but it is a pleasant and funny and twisted little black tale. Making Christmas, making Christmas, it's so hard. It's ours this time, and won't the children be surprised? It's ours this time. The Glock 7. <laughs> Made in Germany, this firearm is constructed entirely of porcelain. It's capable of passing through airport metal detectors completely unnoticed. The only downside to this amazing weapon is the price, which is quite expensive. The RRP is unknown, but experts say that it costs more than a Dulles International Airport police chief makes in a month. This is not to be confused with the Austrian-made 9mm Glock 17 or any other Glock handgun which actually exists. 
all which are constructed of both steel and polymer and would quite easily set off an airport metal detector. Retail price on any other Glock, which actually exists, is most likely much less than what a Dulles International Airport police chief makes in a month, about $500. At least it wasn't a wooden gun. (laughs) (laughs) Firing wooden bullets. Well, have you not seen In the Line of Fire? Oh, God, I I have not. No, hang on. Who directed that? Clint Eastwood. He's the other one that I don't see why everyone's <laughs> so awesome. I'm going to start shutting up now. It's, it's only because both Scorsese and Clint Eastwood films are made for grown-ups, and I'm not yet one yet. <laughs> Every time I sit and watch a Clint Eastwood film, my head slowly passes into my lap until I'm, I'm pretty much bent up. I'm a very important question now, <laughs> and if you get this wrong... I, I like Unforgiven. Cool. It's all right. I'm going to say, Ridley Scott, you do like him, don't you? On and off. I love Alien. Um, oh, that's right then. No, no I'm fine with on and off, because yeah. that's me as well. Uh, which other ones do, do you like that he's done? I mean, Gladiator's all right, but frankly, best film of 2000? No. Boring. Uh, obviously, uh, I like uh, Alien, Blade Runner, stuff like that. Uh, Blade Runner's interesting for me, because I've always found it boring, around about the halfway point, um, and then I watched it recently, and I was like, oh my god, I love this film. I saw the final cut, and I thought, this is fantastic, it's fascinating. And then it got to the midway point, and I went, I'm so bored. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, around about the time, just after he shoots that woman in the back, uh, sorry, the, the replicant, what's her name? I can't remember now, but yes, I know what you mean. It does have that sort of weird there's this weird long section where he goes and he hangs out with Rachel in his apartment and she plays some piano and then he pretty much rapes her. And you're like, oh. Yeah, it's a bit weird. I mean, she's like, I don't want to kiss you. I don't want to do anything with you. He's like, no, no it's happening, bitch. You're like, ooh, this is seedy. <laughs> On the up- it could be worse. It could be Tony Scott. Oh, God, you know, Tony Scott. I like Top Gun, but that's about it. Yeah, I-, I recently watched Unstoppable. Unstoppable. Yeah, it's the one with Chris Pine and Denzel. We're doing it again. We're talking about other films. Sorry. Back to Die Hard. Back to Die Hard. (laughs) (laughs) I've forgotten that we weren't talking about the film we're supposed to be talking about. I think I might leave all of those bits in just to show how not much of a match this film is. This is the thing. It is a bog standard action movie. And that's it. It literally is bog standard. Standard of a bog. When John gives the scrambled radio to Dulles Communications Director Leslie Barnes, he says, This is a six-digit code. There could be a million combinations. Well, Communications Director of Dulles Airport Leslie Barnes, the grade C at GCSE Math Wizard is here to tell you that there's no could about it. Six digits means that there are precisely one million combinations if we're counting 000000, which I wouldn't put it past these bozos to be using. And that probably was the code. <laughs> one, two, no, three, no, no, it's four, zero, zero, one, two, three. That's amazing. That's just kind of combination an idiot would have on his luggage. <laughs> Might be to change the combination on my luggage. Nice. Okay, so I'm done with Die Hard 2. Let's talk about Die Hard in video games, because we can talk about the home releases when we talk about Die Hard 3, because there is a specific thing that relates to that, especially if you're outside America. So, uh, Die Hard in video games. There was Die Hard on the NES and then the MS-DOS system. Don't remember those. Um, Die Hard 1 on the NES. Well, I mean, obviously, since all NES owners should have seen Die Hard being 8, um, the, it was like a top-down <laughs> shooter puzzle type thing. I don't know. Well, the best thing is, right, so you just made that joke about the fact NES owners are 8 and there was a Die Hard video game. There was a Nightmare on Elm Street video game. Oh, God, there was. 
<laughs> I mean, movies were pretty pervasive in those days. You know that bit in The Wedding Singer? We're doing it again! When uh, that kid comes in and he's wearing a Freddy Krueger mask and glove. I'm like, yeah, you know what? Even at four or five years old, that is the sort of thing that would happen back in the 80s. Because kids were allowed to, you know, sort of revel in these awful, awful, like, 18-rated, what, R-rated movies. Die Hard 2 on the Amiga. It is a crosshair Operation Wolf-style shooter. Meh. <laughs> Can we talk about the PlayStation 1? Yeah, we're getting there. Die Hard Arcade first on the Saturn and arcade units is a nonsensical brawler, which basically stars you as a man with brown non-receding hair and a blue police jacket who starts off on the bottom floor of the Nakatomi Plaza and fights his way all the way to the top, beating up everybody in between. Okay. I'm assuming... I never got to the top, but when you get to the end, I'm assuming you beat up Hans Gruber. You're supposed to, I think you're supposed to be John McClane, but anyway. Die Hard Trilogy on the PS1. See, now, this, this is what we're talking about. I remember about. the Die Hard game. Yeah. Because, of course, we, you, know, you were 82, weren't you? So you'd have been, uh, what, 15 when this came out? Maybe a bit yeah. younger? About right. Yeah. I actually had it. I quite liked it. Yes, it, it was good. It was the first good Die Hard game. And uh, actually, looking at the list of what went on, it's the only good Die Hard game. <laughs> I mean, so if I remember correctly, it was Die Hard Trilogy. The first Die Hard one in that game was sort of this weird isometric. Uh, was a sort of a, a, th- a third-person shooter. If I remember mm, correctly. Yeah, I mean, not this entirely dissimilar to say Siphon Filter. A little bit more viewed from above, but yeah, very, very jagged frame rate, and uh, you, you went from one floor to the next, dispatching everybody on that floor, and then you got to go to the next floor again. It was you were murdering everybody on your path. There were no hostages. It was just floor after floor of terrorists so if I remember correctly the second one was sort of a light gun game yep uh, which did actually use a light gun not just a, a pad which again no one played and I think the best I one was the third. it was quite good the th- yeah but the third one was the best the third one was basically driving around in a car somewhat bending the uh, the plot of the original Die Hard with a Vengeance but yeah you drive around in a car and then quite often a taxi and you had to find bombs placed around the city and ram into them just like in real life. And I bet everybody did this. If you went through the park stage, you all said this. Are you trying to hit these people? No. Ah! Maybe they're mine. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't say through Park Avenue. I said through the park. Yeah, it was. Uh, did it have someone who sounded a bit like Samuel L. Jackson shouting in your ear all the time going, McLean! <laughs> we'll have to look up that. <laughs> Die Hard with a Vengeance. What a film. Okay. Yeah, but it was great fun, and um, as a Die Hard game, it wasn't exactly accurate, but, um, I mean, you know, it, it was three relatively, so- I mean, two and a half relatively solid uh, game styles. Uh, one of the, I remember it being one of the most popular titles on the Xbox, uh, the Xbox yeah. sorry, on the PS4. It went platinum, definitely, yeah. Uh, I think what, one of the main things that held back all of the Die Hard video games is that Bruce Willis has never allowed his likeness to be used in Die Hard video games. He was in Apocalypse, as I recall, uh, but, for example, in the Fifth Element video game, which was rubbish, 
they could never show Bruce Willis's face. So they had clips from the movie, but they couldn't actually show Corbin. They showed his hands when he was starting up the cab, but Bruce Willis is very touchy about his face, same as Tom Cruise. That's actually probably a good thing, because at least then he's not appeared in crappy video games. Yeah, but that also means he's not been in good video games. If, for example, you'd had Bruce Willis's face and bits of the Die Hard trilogy in Die Hard trilogy on the PlayStation 1, that would have been so much better. Even, you know, I think it would have been, if it would have felt a lot more authentic. But you, you've never really, here's the thing, none of these games really achieve what they're supposed to be doing, which is you never really feel like McLean, because he is so definitely twinned with Willis. Even, even Willis doesn't look like McLean in Die Hard 4. That's true. I mean, a Die Hard game should be pretty much almost like, say, the early Splinter Cell games, where you're having to be stealthy. Yeah, or Uncharted, with a lot more stealth. Uh, I can only remember one more Die Hard game. Oh, there's, there's uh, four more, actually. Four. I know there's, is it Die Hard Nakatomi Tower? Oh, no, hang on, there's, there's three more. There's uh, the Die Hard Trilogy 2. Viva Las Vegas on the PS1 and PC, which uh, in that it was a brand new Die Hard story, nothing to do with the existing Die Hard trilogy, and just one story shouldn't have been called Die Hard Trilogy. It should just have been called Die Hard Viva Las Vegas. Yeah. yeah. Uh, again, driving, shooting, action, also shooting. <laughs> not, apparently not, not as good. Uh, then, as you say, yeah, Nakatami Plaza on the PC looked like it was using the Half-Life engine. wasn't, but actually, of all of these games, probably the most interesting. It set you up in the Nakatomi Plaza. You had various... It had similar-sounding music and not at all similar-sounding McLean, but the guy who played Al came back and did uh, voice duties on that. It looked like a very cheap game, though. And then there's Die Hard Vendetta on the GameCube, which is as good as every other GameCube FPS. Seeing as I've never played a GameCube FPS, <laughs> I am not saying anything. Neither I, have I. <laughs> I only played a few games on the GameCube: the Resident Evils mm. and the Wing Commanders. Not the Wing Commanders, sorry, the Rogue Rogue Squadron and yep. Rogue Leader. Well, at this point, if anybody was <laughs> saying to me, "I'm going to make a Die Hard game," I would say, "Do you have Bruce Willis's face and even better voice?" No. Well, don't bother then. It's that simple. Don't bother making Die Hard without Bruce Willis. Ah, uh, how we wish they said they, they they said just don't bother when it came to Die Hard Four. Yeah, mm. absolutely. He wants more to do, he wants <laughs> to do two more. Oh God! Right. Uh, anything else on Die Hard Two? Die Harder. What a crappy tagline! Yeah, <laughs> like they were sitting around in an office drinking coffee, going, "Oh, I don't know. We need we need to give it a, t- a subtitle. Just two is not good enough." The worst crime in this movie did, is... Did they have to call it Back to the Future Part 2, the future era? <laughs> back, back, even backer. Forward. Forwarder. I don't know, it doesn't make any sense. Back to the Future Part 2, forward, back, back again. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing, though. I mean, you, back to the Future Part 3, way back. About this movie, its worst crime is it being by the numbers. It's not too good, but it's not too bad. It's not Die Hard 4, Mm. but it's not Die Hard, it's not Die Hard with a vengeance. Well, see, I kind of think it is Die Hard 4, but it has enough hallmarks of the original Die Hard that we kind of forgive it. Like I said, there's those like seven things that are present in in Die Hard 2, uh, which if you remove John McTiernan and, and a good script, it still kind of feels like Die Hard. It does a good impression of Die Hard. It's just Die Hard 4 doesn't concern itself with that. 
And so there is there is no sense of magic trick. Can we just talk about how he saves the day at the end of the movie? Yeah, I was going to, but uh, yeah, at this point we usually talk about what a brilliant finale the movie has, but it kind of doesn't. Go for it. <laughs> he, you know, he's fighting on the wing. He gets, yep. he manages to not one person into an engine, which is kind of cool. Awesome. Then, then he gets kicked off the wing, and on his way down, manages to grab the emergency fuel release. Yeah, that thing. And then saves the day basically by. So rolling over and dropping the cigarette lighter while delivering the catchphrase and saving the day. Yeah. But at that point, it's not relevant to the situation and it doesn't play on any kind of words or cultural reference. And besides, nobody can hear him. It's his catchphrase because everybody remembers it from the original movie, even though it's not relevant at the time. Yeah, and he literally, not only does he save the day because he, he drops the lighter, obviously the fuel catches fire, chases up with the plane goes into the engine, boom, plane explodes. Yeah. Then all the other planes circling above somehow magically use the trail of fire and the big explosion to land. <laughs> There's well, a point not landing in the middle of the wreckage that would have been left because yeah. all there is is a bit of burning petrol, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> uh, why did they not try that method when the other plane ploughed into the runway earlier? Um, they didn't have time. There's a bit where uh, they, they're looking out at him with binoculars and they go, someone's out there. My God, it's McLean. And like, you know, he's doing his sort of jumping up and down. Actually, at that point, there's this awesome bit where um, they, uh, it's like somebody who's messing with the computers goes, I'm going to raise the ground level to 200 meters below sea level. And then immediately afterwards, someone in the control tower goes, my God, he's raised the ground level to 200 meters below sea level. Just in case you didn't know it, folks, this is what he's done. And actually, it's a foreshadowing Die Hard for, isn't it? With the whole computers, we can change things, and no one will actually notice. No. I, <laughs> I, I just think when they, when they, um, they know it's very foggy, right? They know there's snow, terrible weather conditions. They're going in very carefully and very slowly, um, and then the runway appears. And the, do you remember what their reactions are? And then they shield their faces and go, no! <laughs> You'd think an experienced pilot would be expecting the, the runway to be, you know, either much closer or much further away and would be, you know, bearing down in a very kind of safe way. So he'd be like, shit, and he'd pull the sticks back, but not too hard. And he'd just attempt to get in and not just squeal like a little bitch and then go to completely <laughs> to pieces. It would have been slightly less galling, possibly for my father, if he'd gone, right, I'm going to do the British stiff upper lip thing and try my absolute damnedest. Well, this is the problem with the entire film. So uh, the first film was, there was a few bits of, of action nonsense thrown in, but mostly it was it was fairly gritty and realistic, whereas this, there's just so much nonsense going on. Mm. I mean, the whole bit with the, the ejection seat where he's trapped in the plane. Yeah. Oh, yeah, those, grenades, those grenades have got the longest fuses of any grenades. They blow up after he's ejected an ejection seat, yeah. which that plane wouldn't have being a transport plane. Is it a, it's a Hercules, isn't it? I have no idea whether it was. It's, it's, okay. like, it's, it's something like that, yeah. If you're in aviation, folks, work to us. Tell us if there's an ejector seat. <laughs> I suppose there is a great moment in this movie where um, Lots of Space gets tasered. That was kind of fun. I enjoyed yeah. that bit. Uh, poor thing, limped for a month. It, just, it seems like weirdly suicidal on Dick's part. It's like he's He's, uh, yeah, he creates massive amounts of panic by broadcasting this information. He doesn't even think for a second, maybe this will somehow scupper my chances of landing safely. <laughs> He's mental. Lockheed C-130 Hercules. Absolutely jam-packed with ejector seats, apparently. 
Yeah. <laughs> Every seat on this plane is an ejector seat. <laughs> and they can all be triggered uh, from the cockpit. Uh... There's also the the uh, 747 or the, the passenger liner that they uh, the terrorists finally escape on mm. that conveniently has its windows painted shut so they don't notice them. <laughs> there's, a, there's a man on the wing. Oh, no, the windows are painted over. Why the fuck are they painted over? Uh, that makes no sense at all. But, you know, it, obviously, there's just so much stuff jammed in there to try and make the film mm. a bit more big and a bit more. I mean, they threw in uh, $20,000 a minute this film was costing at one point. Oh, yeah? Actually, thank you for bringing in. $1,000 a minute, minute. Every minute of every day. What a waste! <laughs> and it made $117 million. That's the, that's the really scary thing. But it does show that throwing money at the film. While it might make it successful, doesn't necessarily make it better because Die Hard had a smaller budget. It was a much better film. You know? Well, you only so. need to look at the Pirates of the Caribbean two and three to realise if you throw money, it doesn't make it better. Yeah, yeah. The prequel trilogy. <coughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is, we've done that. We've been there. Yeah. In fact, I, I say that for uh, actually no, because that doesn't work either. If you reduce the budget, you get straight to video shite because none of the actors turn up for it. <laughs> Okay, keep the budget exactly the same. It's the only way. <laughs> Do more with this. Just get a sometimes it's the right combination of director and script. I mean, like we said, this isn't a bad movie. Mm. It's just not a good or great movie. Yeah. No, I mean it, it does enough. It does enough stuff that isn't just by the numbers, scene for scene, mm. sequel stuff to make it worth watching. And you could even. I mean, I, I watched. Die Hard 2 not long after I watched Die Hard mm-hmm. um, just before Christmas it was, a, you know, it was a couple of days and it's it's you know it was fine I didn't have a problem watching it but it just isn't as good you know the the one line is some of them are very good another basement another elevator how can the same shit happen to the same guy twice mm. which is probably the same the same shit same guy twice is perhaps one of the best quotes in that movie mm. it's a great line and then when he ejects out of the fucking plane in, against all yeah. sense and physics and design of planes and he then lands and gets buried by his parachute and says it's the fucking door which is the worst line I've heard yeah. in a long time it's awful uh, well actually I suppose get lost you pinko bitch is probably worse <laughs> from that guy <laughs> at the beginning saying, speaking very everyone's rude to that poor reporter I mean I know she's a vulture but they're so rude to her and then there's that bit where uh, he, he jumps up on the inside of the elevator, goes through the uh, hatch, and then the, the doors open and the renter cops outside go, where's McLean? And she goes, claustrophobic, I guess. And they come in and go, huh? And they look around. It's like, dude, it, there's no stops in between there and the tower. He's gone up through the hatch. I could have told you that. And I was eight when I saw this. Well, this, is, this actually is an important fact, right? If you watch most movies, not mm. every movie, but most movies, no one looks up ever it's true it's even in Kill Bill they even do it in Aliens thinking about it they don't look up till it's too late yeah the alien yeah, he's like no wait, wait wait I'll wait till he looks at me and then I'll go nyah <laughs> 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 it's not it's not scary enough yet no wait 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 wait, wait, wait. okay got him <laughs> and all this is the aliens friends are going yeah that was excellent Colonel Stewart come in a few words please you can have two Joe and you no pictures, you pinko. Hey, Carmine, let me ask you something. What sets off the metal detectors first? The lead in your hat or the junk in your brains? Fat prick. 
Hey, McLean, I got a first-class unit here, SWAT team and all. We don't need any Monday morning quarterbacks. Hey, forget Monday morning. My wife saw one of those damn planes these guys are fooling with. That puts me on the playing field. And if you'd have moved your fat feet when I told you to, we wouldn't be hip deep and so right now. Hey, right. I'm hauling out of here, and you rocking the boat. Connection? Come on, McLean, just a few words. Okay, just a few words. Joe, off. Oh, we are just up to our neck in terrorists again, John. Well, maybe they're just a little bit more creative than you think. Well, at least I'm thinking, damn tenant. Listen, you wise guy. We're here to service that hijack, sir. Guess I was wrong about you. You're not such a rascal after all. No, you were right. Just your kind of rascal. Rascal? Seriously, rascal? Is he 98 years old? Yippee-ki-yay, Mr. Falcon. Worst Bruce Willis impersonation ever. And that was the dub. Finlandia is a symphonic poem by Finnish composer Jean Sibelius. The first version was written in 1899 and was revised in 1900. The piece was composed for the press celebrations of 1899, a covert protest against increasing censorship from the Russian Empire, as the last of seven pieces each performed as an accompaniment to a tableau depicting episodes from Finnish history. And it just happens to be the uh, music that uh, keeps turning up in Die Hard 2. I was going to say, what the heck's this got to do with Die Hard 2? It's uh, in the same way as um, Michael Kamen was riffing on com- uh, Christmas music, and uh, so Let It Snow, and then uh, the music from uh, other stuff. Ode to Joy. Uh, yeah, an Ode to Joy, yes. And, of course, uh, Beethoven in the original Die Hard. Uh, he went for Jean Sibelius's Finlandia for this one. Uh, in a similar fashion to Beethoven's Ninth in the first one. And, of course, it finishes again on Let It Snow, Let It Snow, Let It Snow, and we can't finish on that one because we've already done that. So I'm going to play the uh, Finlandia tribute, uh, which plays bass pretty much almost... Yeah, it, it, it's it's not even Michael Kamen's music. This is literally Finlandia, um, which plays at the end when uh, McLean gets all those planes down. In the meantime, Neil, do you want to pimp your show? You can find me over at Gameburst at gameburst.co.uk. Mm. And very good it is as well, especially your Christmas quiz. You even turned up in the outtake show, sir. Yeah, I know. And I was like, uh, oh, wow, there's me with my uh, not quite able to get things right first time. And that's why I edit that shit out. (laughs) (laughs) We showed you up, sir. I'm sorry. Okay, right. So that's it. Die Hard 2 finishes and everyone goes, "Eh, that was all right. Yeah. Yeah. Not too bad. Not too good. It didn't really seem like the sort of movie that would get a third one, and then so when the third one came out, obviously I was a kid at the time, so uh, I, w- I wasn't really massively surprised. I, in fact, I hadn't really even seen Die Hard until that point. So it, three was the one that got me into the Die Hard series. So, uh, and I'm really looking forward to talking about that one, because oh, uh, uh, of the uh, of the two of the four films, I would buy one and three on Blu-ray. Definitely. They, they are the ones you want, you mm. need. We'd be happy if the Die Hard wasn't a quadrilogy. Wasn't four. I call it just a quad. Sod quadrilogy. It's a made-up word. Alright. If, <laughs> if it was just two movies and it was Die Hard yeah. and Die Hard with a Vengeance. What but I, I kind of like the fact that Die Hard 4 exists now because it means I'm not obligated to get the entire trilogy on Blu-ray. I can be like, eh, you know what, I'll, I'll miss this one out. <laughs> there you go, Die Hard 4 has a purpose after yeah. all. It, it, it allows you to take exception to things. Same as uh, Superman 4. You're just like, you know what? It's not like a, a, a good first two films and then a bad third one. It's two of them that are worth ignoring, so fuck it. Same with the Batman films. No, you just need to buy Batman Begins and the Dark Knight, because the um, others do not exist. I'll be buying the Alien Quad and tossing away Alien Resurrection. <laughs> <laughs> 
The only bit of work Josh Whedon should be thoroughly ashamed of. Always bring that up. Poor Josh. Hasn't he bled enough for you? No. <laughs> Didn't they butcher his script anyway? I, I believe so, yeah. Fairly surely. Well, the hallmarks are there. It's a crew of, I mean, effectively, the crew of Firefly. Only you don't yes. care about or like any of them. Anyway, all that leads back to Die Hard 2, Die Hard... (laughs) Or Die Hard 2, we can't be buggered to talk about it. (laughs) In all seriousness, folks, I will try not to do episodes in the future where we talk about a film that we just can't... For example, here's the thing, Predator 2, are we going to talk about it? Yes, because I actually like that one. Okay. Okay. I actually prefer that one to the first one. What the fuck? Okay, to be continued, folks. <laughs> After we've smacked Neil in the head. Okay, he's perfectly entitled to his opinion, but I, I do need to call the folks at Bedlam, because I think we may have a mentalist on our hands. So you mean Arsene? He has a wrong opinion, except that one. Which is... <laughs> cool. I, I like, I did like Predator 2. I mean, it was, it was... I mean, yeah, I like it too, it but it's, it's kind of like Die Hard 2 in that it's sort of just there. Yeah, but... It's... <laughs> Not Predator's awesome. I mean, the Scorpion is ready. <laughs> Do you know what I think happens? Shit happens. Want some candy? Ah, oh, great film, Predator 2. <laughs> anyway, Die Hard 2, Die Hard. <laughs> Directed by Rennie Harlan. This is Finlandia. I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Neil Taylor. And I've been Matt Ramsey. And thank you again for coming on, Matt. It's uh, it's great to have you on, actually. This uh, you you lend an air of class to us, otherwise just bumbling <laughs> podcast. It's just going through the motions, and uh, that's it. Happy trails. Yeah, Mr. Falcon.